In this episode of Rendition, it was all a dream. This is Rendition, a modern retelling of timeless stories. Each week, you'll hear a medley of folk tales, ancient parables, and classic short fiction. We'll take this tour through folklore, literature, and the arts to reveal the fundamental themes that are still being reused today. Because the world has changed, but the human story remains the same. Dreams are today's answers to tomorrow's questions. Just ask the woman who thought she was getting away with her cheating in the newest single from The Weeknd. That is, until her dreaming kicked in. That song, Secrets, is one of my favorites from the album. It has a sinister premise, and I'm sure it has inspired a lot of jealous lovers to stay up past their partner's bedtime. Like all great concepts, though, it's not new for a song. The Weeknd's song remixes a song by The Romantics from 1983 called, not surprisingly, Talking in Your Sleep. This episode is about dreams, what they tell us, what they reveal about us, and how they can be used to our advantage, or on the flip side, used to manipulate us. The story you're about to hear is one of my favorite stories of all time. It actually represents the initial spark that led me to start this very own podcast, and I'll share why after you've listened to the story. It's a story so old and so widespread that its origins are really tough to trace. What we do know is that one of its first incarnations in writing appears in the works of the legendary poet Rumi, who lived in the 13th century. Now, I'm sure you've heard one or two of Rumi's lines already. Uh, maybe especially the one that says, You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. I'll tell you more about the story's legacy afterwards, but let's dive right into our first story. It's called A Dreamer's Tale. Once upon a time, long ago, there lived a man in Baghdad. Farid was his name. He was a friendly, smart fellow of many talents, but Farid believed most of all in following his dreams. His family and friends often teased him, the dreamy one, they called him, laughing behind his back. 
He'll never make anything of himself. He's too busy looking at the clouds. One night, exhausted from his long labors, Farid lay down in bed, and shortly after falling asleep, he began to dream. That night, in his dream, a voice told Farid he must go to Cairo. There you will find wealth, the voice in his dreams said. And so, the next morning, Farid set out for Cairo hundreds of miles away. He walked the whole way, and the journey took him many months. At long last, he reached the great city. There, he took shelter in a mosque. That night, as he was sleeping, a group of thieves walked into the mosque. They wanted to break into the house next door to the mosque, which was connected by a door. When the people in the house heard the noise at their back door, they quickly called the police. And when the police reached the mosque, they found only Farid, fast asleep. Wake up, they cried. And though Farid had no idea what was happening, the police insisted he was guilty of attempted robbery. They arrested him, tossed him in the wagon, and carried him to prison. A few days later, Farid was brought before the judge. I'm innocent, Farid told the judge. And why have you come to Cairo? The judge asked. I had a dream, Farid answered. In my dream, a voice told me if I came to Cairo, I would find my fortune. Sadly though, my fortune has been getting arrested and days in prison. The judge stared in wonder at Farid. You say it was only a dream that led you here? He said. That's true, Farid said. I trust my dreams. The judge laughed. Perhaps this experience will teach you to know better, he said. I have had such dreams myself. You have? Freud asked. What were your dreams? Three times, I've dreamed of finding a fortune, he said. One of my dreams told me to go to Baghdad, as a matter of fact. That's where I live, Farid said. Where did this dream tell you to find your fortune in Baghdad? The judge smiled, remembering. My dream told me to find a sand-colored house with a long front stoop painted red and three palm trees in the front yard. There I would find a great deal of money buried beneath one of the trees. Farid nodded, thinking this over. Which tree? he asked. Again, the judge laughed. You are a strange man indeed. It was the middle tree. And the voice of my dream told me if I traveled to Baghdad and found this house and dug beneath this tree, I would never again have to work. But you didn't go? Farid asked. I am a wise man, the judge answered. And I understood that a dream is an illusion, a sleep-filled fantasy, a magical creation of the overheated mind. I know enough to know that imagination is not reality. So, of course, I didn't waste my time. Farid looked down at the floor. Perhaps you're right, he said softly. The judge shook his head. He felt sorry for this poor man who had already suffered. Clearly, he was no thief. He was only a fool. Dear fellow, he said, if you believe that the voices of our dreams are real, 
you have been punished enough by this long, fruitless journey. The judge ordered the guards to set Farid free and to give him enough money to return home to Baghdad by caravan. And so Farid rode the many miles back to Baghdad. Throughout the journey, he dreamed of the judge's story. That sand-colored house with three palm trees precisely fit the description of Farid's own house. When he reached home, he quickly gathered his shovels and spades and he dug beneath the middle palm tree in his yard. There, he found a box full of gold, enough to live the rest of his days in comfort. Overjoyed by his good fortune, Farid was generous to his friends and neighbors, and he taught others to pay close, careful attention to their dreams. Like I said, the story you just heard is one of my favorite folk tales of all time. When Rumi wrote it in his poetry, he called it In Baghdad Dreaming of Cairo, In Cairo Dreaming of Baghdad. Then the poem was turned into a story from the epic One Thousand and One Nights, which was called The Man Who Became Rich Through a Dream. Chances are though that most people today are familiar with it because it serves as the framework for the novel, The Alchemist. That's how I became familiar with it. I read The Alchemist in 2009, and it's made a huge impact on my life. I think what makes the story we heard so powerful is that it has a double-layered lesson somewhere in there. I mean, at the surface, it's a story about following through on our dreams our deepest desires which few of us ever pursue. But beneath the surface, it's also a story about contentment. Fareed, the character in the story, was technically standing on top of his treasure all along. It was right there in his front yard, but he didn't realize it. He had to go on his journey, this long, treacherous journey and he suffered pain and embarrassment before he could mine the riches which he possessed all along. If that isn't a metaphor for life, I don't know what is. But now that we've seen dreams be useful for discovering information about ourselves and others, let's flip the concept a little bit. This next story is about how dreams can be used to manipulate others. The story you're about to hear is an old one from Spain. It also makes appearances in many Arab cultures that probably predate the Spanish story. But this particular rendition comes from a Spaniard retelling. It's called The Three Dreams. Two noblemen of the upper class and a simple peasant, on their way to a famous sanctuary for their religious pilgrimage, found themselves with no food except enough flour to make a single small loaf of bread. 
the two noblemen secretly spoke to one another about how they might cheat their companion out of his share, and then proposed to the group that whichever of the three should have the most marvelous dream while the bread was baking should have the loaf all to himself. Everyone agreed to the deal. To complete their deception, they placed the dough on the fire to bake, and then they lay down to sleep. But the peasant saw through their trick. So he woke up early and ate the loaf when it was half-baked, then lay back down again to sleep. Then one of the noblemen, acting as though frightened by his dream, awoke and called the other. What's the matter? said the other nobleman. I've just had a marvelous dream. Two angels opened the gates of heaven and brought me before the Lord. That is a marvelous dream, replied the other. But I've had another which is even more marvelous. See, I saw two angels who cut open the earth and carried me over into hell. The peasant heard all this, but nevertheless pretended to be asleep. The noblemen, however, who were anxious to finish off their trick, called him to wake up. Who's calling me? He cried in great terror. Have you come back? Where should we come back from? Why, I just had a dream in which I saw two angels take one of you and open the gates of heaven and lead him before the Lord. Then two angels took the other of you, opened the earth, and led him into hell. And when I saw this, I realized that neither of you would return, so I got up and ate the bread. The story you just heard pops up all across Middle Eastern and Western European cultures. Sometimes the characters are of different religions, and sometimes they're heading to Mecca, and I even saw a version that has the characters being Jesus, Peter, and Judas, with different dialogue. But that one loses its humor if you're a Christian. The point is that dreams have always been given some sort of importance and meaning. For example, in my Dominican culture, our parents and grandparents believed that dreams would give them winning lottery numbers. If you had a dream with a gun, the next day you put money on seven, because guns are shaped like the number seven. If your dream had a dog in it, you played the lottery number four. If your dream had two dogs, the number 44, four legs to each dog. A river meant the number eight because it's winding and can seem to go on for infinity like the number eight. And the dream about baseball would have you at the local store the next morning playing the number 10. One for the bat, zero for the ball. There's a quote that goes, dreams say what they mean, but they don't say it in daytime language. Our ancestors figured this out. So they paid close attention to their dreams and became self-taught cryptologists. Nowadays, the dreams we place most importance on are the ones we have while we're awake, our explicit goals and aspirations. We daydream, then with enough effort and luck, 
the daydream becomes reality. Whether our fortune changes by winning the lottery or from the sweat of our brow, the general idea these stories want us to understand is the same. Nothing happens unless first a dream. Guys and gals, thank you so much again for tuning in. I'm having a blast bringing you these episodes every week. If you're liking the episodes, don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy and should only take like 30 seconds. So I'd greatly appreciate if you go ahead and, and do that. Thank you again for tuning in. This has been Rendition. My name is Alex Cespedes. Thanks for listening.